Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Ciappelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act, juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Blue and yellow, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so for those looking, uh, we are going on a two-tone. Bruce. Bruce is blue and uh, Marco is yellow. <laughs> well, here we are, Redefining Society, um, once again, with uh, my dear friend, Bruce Wiley, Dr. Bruce Wiley, where uh, we we just pick an, a topic. Um before we start recording, we don't plan, we don't script, but we usually have a lot of fun and we hope that everybody does have fun. Our conversation are at the intersection of uh, health, health tech, um, humanity, society. Sometimes we get very philosophical and I think today we're going to do, do just that. I'm quite excited about the topic that we pick. But before we go there, Bruce, couple of words about you, what you've done since uh, the last time we spoke. Yeah, I think it's it's actually quite uh, quite topical that, that I'm in, encased in sort of a blue color and you in um, a dif- different color because I think uh, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, impact of tech appearance and all those types of things like that. So, um, yeah, I think that since we last talked, I, I always lose uh, track of time. Just in general, so uh, yeah, we've been um, busy with different. I I I just got back from uh, from Texas. Uh, we had a um, I'm part of a um, consortium of all the different major sports leagues where we're looking ways to increase uh, youth sports participation and youth uh, physical activity. You know, as as you may know, physical inactivity is a major problem. Uh, not just in the United States, but worldwide. And one of the big issues is that um, 
we we've seen dips in youth sports sports participation you know it used to be that that's just standard when you grow up you know you throw around a ball or kick around a soccer ball or what have you but uh things have changed uh people have become more sedentary um so that's a significant problem that we've actually been trying to address so it's always great to see some of my compatriots uh, in that consortium. And so that's what I've been up to uh, over the past few days. That's really cool. And actually, we should talk about that in in, in depth in one of our next episode. I'm going to make a note to talk about that because I think it's very important. We, we, we were talking before we start recording about uh, a conversation I had with someone that developed an app to help with nutrition and dieting because, yeah, uh, apparently... It's getting more and more of an issue, and uh, and I was always hoping that. Remember when I was a, a kid? Again, you know, we, we like to go back in time. I guess it's mm -hmm. it's come with our age, but I mean, you couldn't pay me to sit down. <laughs> I mean, a school maybe, but then uh, I had to go and run around, play soccer, uh, get out on the bike, hurt myself, and mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's hard to believe that kids nowadays don't don't do the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Now you've got uh, you got several issues. One is in general, physical activity is going down. You know, people are more glued to their electronic devices. Um, and two is uh, also when people do play sports, there's so there's can be so much of an emphasis on, you know, just focusing on one sport and trying to like compete, compete, compete when it actually should be fun. Mm. Uh, and that can be a great off to many kids because you know not every kid is going to become the next nba player or the next you know uh world cup player or what have you um you know mo mo most kids most kids ultimately are not going to become top professional athletes that doesn't mean that you shouldn't play sports as a kid because you know it's good physical activity you gain a, a lot more physical literacy which is basically you understand how your body moves and also doing things like team sports can be really helpful when it comes uh, in the future. I um, Some of my team members joke that many times I'll use sports analogies um, and because sports can teach you a lot about teamwork, working together, uh, you know, trying to survey the field, figuring out, you know, what to do next, uh, thinking quickly. There's a lot of types of um, uh, skills and abilities that, that sports can really own. And uh, it's unfortunate that, that many kids are not taking advantage of that. Let's talk a second more about this, because mm -hmm. there is, of course, the benefit, as you mentioned, for your body. And, and, and as you're going into the benefit of knowing how to start interacting with others in a team sport. I mean, one of the basic things you learn when you do a team sport is it's not just about you. Although there are then the one that wants to strike the, the goal. <laughs> at all costs, but yep. sometimes if you want to win, you may want to have the other person uh, strike the goal because mm -hmm. you passing it, it's as important as putting it inside the net. So that's that's important. And, and I think uh, taking things seriously, but if your only goal, as you said, is to become the number one player in the world, I think that the barrier, it gets so high that once you realize that it's not going to happen, then all the fun goes out of it. Yeah. It becomes like work. <laughs> and like, you're, you're like a, you're like an eight year old and you really feel like you're going to work. <laughs> yeah. Not, 
Not not a good thing. Not a good thing. But yeah, let's talk more about this uh, next time. For today's topic, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna stay there. Let's uh, let's let's go into a little bit of a of a scenario where let's imagine the the coach. It's uh, not made of uh, flesh and blood, but it's uh, maybe a robot. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what it would look like. Can it be a brick on on four wheels that just follow mm-hmm. you around the the field, whatever it is, and tell oh, you like what a, to like do? A gigantic soccer ball or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like that too. Yeah. Depending depending on the sport, it could be like a golf bag or, or a tennis mm-hmm. racket, or it has to have two arms, two legs, and resemble a human being, even if we clearly know that. That we're not, because it seems to me that most of the time we have a tendency to go there. I've seen some robotics lately that it's literally could act on a movie and not being AI, but actually a robot. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, yes, for certain aspect of of life, maybe, but does do we have to anthropomorphize everything? And that's a very hard word word to say for me too. So I train on that. So who is going to teach these kids running around uh, a, a, a cube? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's, 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 you know, more and more efforts these days to try to create more human interfaces, right? So um, you're talking about, you know, apps or like you mentioned, a robot or what have you. Um, and there's that whole... Uh, what is it called? It's the uncanny valley where you can mm-hmm. you can uh, get really close, but it's still there's something you're like this is not a person. In fact, I, I was uh, I saw this trend on what uh, uh, TikTok or social media where people are trying to put makeup on themselves to look like they they belong to the unca- uncanny valley. So these are <laughs> humans that like were wearing makeup so that and then when you look at them, you feel a little like. A little taken aback because they look like humans because they are humans, but they're wearing makeup so they look they look like some kind of AI generated some something or other. Okay, I didn't know that. I got to check that out. It's yeah, the, no, other, the gotta, other way around. <laughs> you got to keep up on these TikTok trends, right? That's the whole. <laughs> that is the whole purpose of life. The whole purpose of life is to go onto TikTok and figure out what everyone else is doing and try to do exactly what they're doing. There you go. Any other purpose? I haven't jumped on the TikTok train when (laughs) it happened, and I feel like it's a little too late now. I'm more on the LinkedIn one, and Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But this is interesting. It's almost like let's meet in the middle. Let's welcome the robot by doing the opposite thing that I just started to say. Yeah. You know, let's look all like robots. So imperfection uh, become. Than the standard, maybe I don't know. Yeah, well, who knows? With 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 uh, if if you've if you've uh, used too much Botox and too much, <laughs> you know, too much uh, uh, plastic surgery over time, you may start looking like a robot. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I think there's a recognition that um, there's a difference between interacting with something that's you know text or if it's like some type of screen that's obviously not a person. Or if you mentioned like some kind of cube or box or or circle, et cetera, uh, because there's a lot to be said about human to human interaction. Um, I think we we always talk about the five senses, right? We we talk about smell, taste, sight, hearing, touch. 
Um, but yeah, there, there's there's uh, there's evidence that there are additional senses that are going on be, besides those things. Like you always talk about people saying, "Oh, I got some kind of intuition or some kind of feeling or or what have you." And so, just because five senses has been have been clearly identified, doesn't necessarily mean that our information intake is limited to those five senses. Plus, in addition to that, those five senses can be a lot more complex than simple. Oh, I have five separate senses, and I see something. Therefore, you know, etc. There's a lot of interplay. So there's a difference between interacting with someone who's human and interacting, in many cases, with a lot of tech-based things. Um, and sometimes, you know, many times, it's actually the interaction and not the information, the explicit information that's more important. So you, you mentioned like coaching. So Sure, a coach is going to tell you, you know, let's let's take soccer, for example. I usually call soccer football everywhere else in the world except for the U.S. because, you know, we've somehow decided that it should be called soccer instead of football. <laughs> um, but that's another thing because actually soccer uses the foot a lot more than football does. But anyway, um, so with soccer, uh, there are, you know, you can have someone instruct you and tell you, okay, this is how you should triple the ball. This is how you should shoot the ball, et cetera. But in reality, you could get a lot of that stuff from a book, right? Or you watch a training video and those things like that. So why do you actually have to have a coach? Well, one is to get immediate feedback that's tailored to your specific situation, right? So a coach can look at you and say, okay, you specifically are kicking the ball in the wrong way. You should adjust this accordingly, et cetera. That being said, in theory, you know, AI could do that, right? So sit there and say, all right, let's, let's measure where your foot placement is and all these things that adjust accordingly. But the other things that, that a coach can do is uh, they can offer um, uh, encouragement. Um, so they have to say the right things, you know, uh, encourage you to keep going and those things like that. So can any type of program do that? Yeah, it could. It could look for certain cues and saying, Marco, you're great. You're fabulous. You're fantastic. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it can do that. But then the, the third thing is really just the presence. Um, and presence is very important. And presence is the type of thing that's harder to replicate, right? So it's, 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 you know, when you're with someone, you'll get certain feelings. You'll feel like that person is there. You'll feel like that person's supportive and behind what you're interested in doing. That person sometimes doesn't even have to say anything. Um, so it, or sometimes, you know, it can be as simple as like a look. <clears throat> you look at the person, <clears throat> the person gives you like an affirmative look or just the body positioning is, is makes you feel better and those things like that. And that's where a cube would not work unless mm -hmm. you're used to interacting with cubes, unless you grew up, <laughs> everyone was a cube around you. You're like, I, I get this. This is what, this is how I feel most comfortable around cubes. Add arms and legs, I, then I start feeling uncomfortable. But cubes, so in that case, yes. But for most humans, I think they need a lot of that. They would prefer a lot of that type of feedback and that feeling that you don't really get from this pure voice or text or what have you. So. Okay. I, I, I definitely agree. I get that point. Um, but there is that uncanny valley situation yes. where we're certainly not there yet. Yeah. And then there is the idea of, let's say that we get there and there is coach A2WZ 
0.0 version 2.0 that is really good. I mean, it's pretty much human, but you do know that it's not. Or, or do we go into the the future where we really cannot distinguish between a human and and the and a robot? Mm -hmm. uh, plenty of movie about that, but uh, I guess maybe there is time and place for for different application um, nowadays that we are not to that to that level of mm -hmm. even mixing human with with robotics. So I'm thinking if the if you are bringing it to the next level of yeah we need the eyebrow the lift the, just that the posture and all of that absolutely agree with you so probably should not robotics substitute the relationship with kids uh, especially being a coach because it, it's a lot more than that yeah. but let's say you go to you go to the lab um, let's go back to the medical. Uh, because I actually I know that there are virtual assistants that you go to touch a screen and they will give you direction to where is the office, where is not, and people seems to be quite fine with that. This avatar, mm -hmm. but they still, even if it's an avatar inside a, a box, it still resemble a character that is that is human, as human as possible. It's not going to be a cat, or maybe I don't know. <laughs> It's an idea that tells you, yeah, that's where you go to to draw blood. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe in that situation, do we need that empathy that comes from looking like you? Or would it be okay that you just touch a button and and you talk? Oh, I'm going to bring again. I don't know why I'm in the cube world today. So And you mm -hmm. talk to a cube. Would mm -hmm. that, that work? Yeah, I was about to ask, did you have like breakfast with a cube or, or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking around. I'm like, do I have cube today? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know, there's a spectrum of like how to, you know, what technology is going to be used for. So if it's a simple task, like, you know, you just want something, well, there's probably not a huge need to establish an interface. Um, but an interface can help significantly. Um, and, you know, people realize that if you establish the interface, you will develop, you could put them potentially develop more connection with whatever you're trying to use that thing for. Um, so we know that there's certain types of technology that you can see people actually develop connections for, right? People's, people's smartphones are no longer just phones. People treat them like a friend or what have you, or especially, you know, you have these things like, Siri or Alexa or something like that. People are talking to them. So it gives people a feeling they're actually talking to something. Um, so we are moving that direction as a society where things are becoming more and more personalized. And there are these cues that make them seem more like just straight flat technology. Um, and we see that every day, right? We see that in like these interactive assistants, you know, which are designed to actually instead of having people like in phone banks ready to answer call, you, you jump on the chat and in the meantime, still throw an avatar on there. There's no need for them to do that, but you know what they're trying to do. They're putting the avatar there. So you feel like you're actually communicating with someone. Um, so, you know, whether, whether uh, one likes it or not, that's the way things are moving towards um, it. Things are becoming more and more anthropomorphized. 
because there, there's just full understanding that you're going to get more of a feeling reaction and you're going to potentially develop more connection if th those things are in place. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what is after a while, right? At some point you could see how people start getting confused. So I, I think one, if there is one thing to say positive about humans is that we, even if many times we do tend to resist change or at least some of us do, mm -hmm. we, we're very good at adapting. And, and yeah. I think this is a good example of that because as we talk about the need for maybe the coach to be uh, human for a lot of reason, um, maybe the, the, the computer robot uh, doctor then of the future should probably resemble some kind of a human, um, I'm thinking. But we are interacting, you said correctly, with our phone and... Chat GPT, you can talk to it right now. I don't know if you had that experience, but uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, kind of annoying uh, still. I think there's a lot of work to be done, but you can you can have that conversation. We yeah. are at least maybe not in the in in the form in the in the physical world. To we're still in a very uncanny valley, yeah. but when it comes to voice, synthetic voice. I I use uh, natural language readers, and trust me, you can't tell that they're not real actors to to yeah. tell the story. Yeah, and I think the same thing is happening. So at a voice level, we're there, and we don't have a problem in having a front a friend that is shaped as a as a smartphone. So yep. we're definitely adapting to to that. So yeah. I don't know if maybe in the future we would not really need uh, that particular kind of uh, human form to anthropomorphize everything if we adapt to interact. No, maybe being more, paying more attention to, to the tone of the voice instead of relying on the expression of the face. Uh, That's could true. Be. Could be. Yeah. That's true. As, as I, I think as people get more and more used to certain types of interfaces, then they may not necessarily um, expect certain types of interfaces. I think if you were to take, um, you know, say a start smartphone, and it, say we 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 took the smartphone, we jumped into our um, our Del DeLorean time machine, <laughs> and then we went back to what you know when when did the when did Michael J. Fox go back to like the fifties or something? Yeah, like that? the fifties. And then we were to drop our phone. Place, people wouldn't know what to do with it. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't know how to interact with it. In fact, the opposite is true also. I saw well, it was in, in some type of talk show where I, uh, they took um, some people who were, I think, in their teens or something like that, and then they, they, they gave them like a rotary telephone and a few other things, and, and they didn't know what to do with it. They looked at the rotary telephone, they're like, tap, like, hello, <laughs> hello, you know, something like that. So, so yeah, it's true. It's, it's humans, we adapt in different directions depending on what we're actually used to. So we, yeah, we have to keep in mind that back in the fifties or twenties or, you know, 1900s, the expected interactions were different and what you expected to interact was. So you can't assume that it's always going to be like this way. I'm sure back in cave person days, interactions were totally different. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I, there can be a tendency to think that humans are always a certain way, uh, but over time they can adapt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and there are certain culture, I think that are more used to that, um, to, I think actually the, the, the Japanese culture about giving a, a soul to every object that, mm -hmm. that is there from a religious perspective. And, and I love that. Because they, ultimately we're still all made from the same <laughs> chemistry, right? And and uh, and I think I like that uh, quite a bit. I'm fascinated by it. Um, so moving okay. forward, maybe we need to look back. In yeah, I had a very very deep conversation with with a toilet when I was in <laughs> a few years ago. Uh, if you've ever been to Tokyo, you'll see uh, they have these smart toilets to do all kinds of things. Like there are all these buttons on the side. And I remember the first time I was like, I just want to flush this toilet. I just want to flush. I don't want to like heat it. I don't want to vibrate it. You know, I don't want all these things. So mm -hmm. yeah, the technology there is, is quite impressive. So yeah, but not only the technology, but it goes back to the way I think that they interact with considering everything part of the, the I mean, when you assume that even a tree or a stone has a soul, I think it's already changing this whole perspective. Maybe it opens you to be more okay if you're going to have a breakfast with a cube because yeah. it still got some kind of a, of a soul in there. And I, I go back to what you said at the beginning that maybe, and I, I'm convinced we're more than those five senses that are easy to, to see. And there is a lot more behind it. And, and I think we can evolve into that. Um, I don't know if with the help of technology or not, but uh, but we're definitely going there. I have an experience um, years ago. I was in Singapore for RSA security. And one of the, the guests of honor was Sophia, the robot. And this is 2017. So it was still just the head. And then you could see kind of the wire coming out. Mm -hmm. Kind of weird. <laughs> I have to say, I was pretty weird out. And then I had a guest that she was the one, she's a comedian that is part of the team that gives Sophia and other robot like that the, the personality. So there are humans that decide this is the, the personality of this robot. So they, they work together the way that they would answer to certain things if they're going to be sarcastic, uh, you know, kind of like give a guideline of, uh, the way they talk, the way they express themselves. So I don't know if we're ever going to arrive to the Bravo that is going to have his own personality, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen. Mm. And I'm not going to say I'm excited about it, but I'm not going to say I'm not excited about it. So mm. <laughs> how do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting. I think in, we, you know, what we always talk about technology is neither good nor bad. It really depends on how it's used. And I think that, um, you know, we can see advantages of each of these developments and, and evolution, and we can also see disadvantages. Um, so, you know, if you can develop uh, a robot or technology with a human interface, um, you know, a very strong human interface that includes all those uh, different types of characteristics, both the conscious and unconscious, that sort of tells you, oh, this is more human. There could be tremendous advantages to that. You know, you can develop, uh, you know, 
we, we have to be realistic. Um, not everyone can get access to the best people. So, you know, when it comes to a coach or those things like that, you know, if there's a shortage of people who can actually do a, do something well, then it's helpful to have the technology that can fill that gap. Um, and that so, uh, so, you know, in situations where you'd rather have a robot, for instance, do something well rather than no human doing it or a human doing it very badly, right? So on the flip side though, uh, there are situations and interactions where a human is just gonna be better. Um, and so it, the, an outstanding human will be better. So if a human is really good at being empathetic, if a human is very good at being, you know, understanding whom he or she is coaching or instructing something like that, that's probably gonna be better than a robot. Um, so, so you don't want to replace people like that. Um, so I guess the answer really depends on the situation. Um, and also I can see advantages of people getting more used to different types of interfaces. So we'll go back to the cube. Uh, you know, if people get more used to talking to a cube, then I can see that as being beneficial because that will increase people, the avenues by which people can interact. Uh, you know, we've, we've already seen it in society, right? If you, if you went back to like the eighties or even the nineties and told people that you're going to be carrying on devices where you're going to like, uh, you know, post something there and then people will respond to it and they'll do likes and things like that. Back in the eighties, they'd be like, what are you talking about? And if you ask people like, like for instance, if you told people that, Hey, there's just like Facebook or something like that and told them that concept, people will be like, I'm not going to do that. Why, why should I do that? But they changed, right? They mm -hmm. adapted. So we've already seen that how people adapt in terms of the way they interact. And so, yeah, I could see people interacting and say suddenly, yes, I, yes, I do want to have a deep conversation with the cube mm -hmm. and, and you know, that may be okay. It's okay. It may be okay if it expands people's abilities to communicate in different ways and interact, but it, it will be problematic if people start to lose touch with reality or they start losing the ability to interact with other humans. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest worries is when people like they, all they know is how to interact via social media, that when you actually have to put two people together, they're like, they don't know what to say. So, um, so I think there, there's with everything, there's, there's positives and negatives. So what we have to do is we have to manage the risks and we have to steer things in the direction where it's most helpful for society. Well, you know, we talked a lot for two years, uh, all virtual. And then when we met, I think we did pretty good. We didn't yeah. need to talk in each other a phone <laughs> facing the other direction. <laughs> we did pretty yeah. good. Well, I, I realized that you were not a cube. <laughs> and you probably realized that I was not a cube, or at least I was disguised as not a cube at the time. Yeah, so, and that, that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, jokes apart, you made me think something. So you, let's talk about the, let's go back in time when the car arrived. Mm -hmm. And that's always a good example because we can go through the entire evolution up to the autonomous uh, driving car vehicles. So I, there was fear. Like, why do I want to trust a, some kind of mechanical thing with wheel when I have a relationship with my horse, yeah. my carriage, I trust my horse, my horse yeah. is going to be 
helping me in taking care of things, almost like having an autonomous vehicle if you're on, on a horse, I guess, or a buggy. <laughs> but so then we go all the other way around. We go on a driver's seat. We trust the person sitting next to you, trust you driving correctly or not, but they do. Now we're going to the car that drives itself. But funny, we didn't think about if we do an autonomous car, let's put a, I don't know, do you remember the movie Airplane? Let's put an autopilot, like auto, <laughs> the inflatable doll yep. in I the driver's that. seat. Maybe it gives people that are not actually driving the idea that there is a human or resembling a human yep. taking control of the car. Mm -hmm. No, apparently we're quite fun okay and having fun even way more than what they should do people that drive a tesla to just say um autopilot uh and i'm gonna take a nap yeah you're trusting really the machine you don't need the car certainly doesn't look like a like a human or mm -hmm. like a cube which i trust a, a lot today yep. so that that's interesting we we do trust the machine with our life and it doesn't need to look human. So I think we're kind of funny. I think humans are funny. Humans are are what um, humans are used to what they're used to. So I think you know, <laughs> and that, that I'm going to quote you on the title. Of this <laughs> yeah, I think you know, rapid dramatic change can be tough for tough for humans. But you know, it's all about homeostasis. I think I think humans have an inherent desire or need for homeostasis, which basically means like everything sort of stays level and there it stays at a certain level. And that's why we've seen repeatedly that the way to actually uh, help behavior change is you got to do it gradually. You got to move mm -hmm. to another level of homeostasis yeah. and then another level and another level. And then after a while, you've, you've, if you look back, you're like, wow, I've actually traveled so far. I'm actually quite different. Whereas, you know, in many cases, behavioral change is, is difficult. Like you can't say tomorrow, I'm just going to, there are people who can do this, but, you know, and people like quit, quit things cold turkey. But for most people, you need to do the kind of the gradual change. Uh, so similarly, yeah, I think humans, humans get used to certain things. You know, this is actually, you know, we don't even have to look at tech specifically for this. Let's look at uh, appearances, you know, ranging from, you know, physical appearance to like clothes and all those things like that. Like the way fads change over the years. You know, you could take, you know, what people consider attractive now is very different from what people consider attractive, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? Because people were used to something different back then. Um, so it's all the same. Uh, it's just that what you take a technology lens, it's, it's, it looks a little different, but it isn't. It's, it's, it's a matter of humans becoming habituated with something. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, th I think we got to the point of this, which is maybe there is not the right or wrong. It's it's about giving a time eventually to to get used to things. And I, I think I strongly believe that what, what you said. I mean, we we could definitely start interacting with non-human resembling technology. I'm going to go yeah. back to technology because I, you look back into the past and. I, I think it's clear that we can adapt given enough time. Now, those that make the decision, they may decide that 
we're going to do robots to look like human and there is not much you can do about it. But I know for a fact that it's really interesting how we, a lot of robotic research there inspire less by human, but more like from the animal kingdom, the insect world, because mm -hmm. they can do things that certainly human can't. If you want to do something that crawl uh, in, in very small opening you definitely can't have it with two arms and two legs you need to have some sort of a snake or some sort of a tarantula so i think the inspiration come in many form yeah now that you're gonna go on a date with uh, one of those robot then i don't know but mm -hmm. i will go with a cube no problem you would <laughs> for sure i'm gonna have to write an article about yeah. my life my life with a cube yeah i do that <laughs> oh, yeah, man. that would be an interesting angle so to speak yeah let's see what i come up with yeah. well bruce this this was fun we kind of stick with one topic for a change mm -hmm. and uh, we look at, at it from different aspect we didn't set the title today of, of our series so this is the time where we connect the carbon the cell and what is that other one the, the carbon the cell the, the silicon uh, Silicon, yes. <laughs> so I think we we kind of covered that quite well today. With, Absolutely, uh, we covered with, the cube too quite a lot. We covered so, the cube, yeah. quite quite a lot. If I don't usually do a cover for an episode, but I'm thinking I'll go talk to Chat GPT Dali three and tell him to give me a cube that has a podcast and um, what's this was going to come up with. Probably a cube with a microphone. I'm gonna make that prediction. <laughs> well, Marco, I'm, I'm I'm picturing you uh, hosting a party, and you walk into the party, and there's nothing but cubes all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that could be an episode of uh, South Park, probably. Mm -hmm. That'd be quite fun. All right, Bruce, thank you so much for another interesting conversation in uh, your bar. Um, always a pleasure coming there. I still don't know why there's not enough people, actually barely one person in there which is you and we gotta do something about that yep absolutely. maybe i'll send you some cubes how about send that? Me some cubes. i'll station them each <laughs> of the uh chairs over here so all right everybody i hope you had a good time i know we did and uh you're gonna share this episode subscribe because once a month we get together uh bruce and i and we and we have this weird weird uncanny conversation sometimes but we hope you make you think and you'll come back for more Take care, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society podcast. 
hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.